We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. This is the word of the Lord. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went, in into, a, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten, ten minus and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minus more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minus. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is the mina which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the, mi take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for the enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would illuminate us now, that we would hear your word, Father. I pray that you would control uh, Ryan's thoughts, emotions, and heart as he brings forth your word, and that we would leave today, this morning, encouraged, challenged, and in greater awareness of who you are and what you've done for us, and with, in turn, in greater love for you and for, your and for our neighbor. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As, as we, as we kind of kick off this new series where we're looking at the parables of Jesus, I want to just take a moment and explain what a, what a parable is. Jesus frequently spoke in these stories called parables. And they're, they're brief, allegorical stories uh, that, that seek to illustrate deep spiritual truth using examples from everyday life. Why? Because stories shape what we know and believe and what we can even imagine to be true about the world around us and what God's doing in it. And Jesus said that the secrets of the kingdom of heaven are within these parables. If we have uh, ears to, to hear them and eyes to see them, then we'll, we'll be able to unlock these secrets of the kingdom of heaven. We'll be able to see what God is doing. Because if we don't know what the kingdom of God looks like, how could we ever advance it? That's the key in why Jesus spoke in these parables. And, the, day, and, the, and the, the parable that we're looking at today has to deal with how we steward the gift of God's kingdom. 
And it's found in Luke 19. It's a story called the parable of the ten minas uh, that Jesus tells. You know, as we, as we dig in here and you turn your Bibles to, to Luke 19, um, I, I know uh, uh, a thing or two about stewardship that I've learned, maybe like some of you from the school of, uh, of hard knocks. And um, when I was nine, my, my parents had been divorced for a couple years, and um, my mom was basically raising me by herself, and, um, and, and, you know, these were the days where people actually used, like, real currency, not like Venmo and, and PayPal and stuff like that, but you actually had to use, like, real money. And, and so every night, here, here's how it would go down, my mom would get home from work, and she would go, um, you know, and, 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 uh, and kind of transition to, to home life and empty her pockets out in the bathroom. There's this little plate in the bathroom, and on this plate, uh, she would put all of the contents of her pocket, which often included currency, included money, included coins, included, included dollar bills. And, and, you know, I was getting to the place in life where I could just use some money. You know what I'm talking about? Like I needed to buy like yo-yos and, and candy and CDs that my mom wouldn't buy for me and all these kinds of things. And so I just started, uh, after my mom would go to bed, I would get up at night and I would just go. And it started out with me taking like a couple quarters the first night, all right? And, uh, and then like a couple nights later, I took a couple dollars. And then over the course of the next year, um, I just kind of developed this money laundering scheme between my mom and I, and uh, she pulls me aside one night and she says, Ryan, Ry- no, Ryan Lee, there it is, we got to talk, and I was like, oh no, and I was like trying to get out of the room, and, and she goes, you've been stealing money from me, haven't you, and I'm like, no, what are you talking about, mom, and it turns out over the course of the, of the, uh, of the year, I would stolen a couple hundred bucks from my mom. And I think she knew about it for a while, and she's just going to see if I would keep on doing it. And, 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 and when I look back on that story, here's what I realize about stewardship. You know, my mom probably would have given me, maybe not that much money, but some money, uh, if I would have just asked for it. But in my mind, um, I really wanted to get it myself, because I was so afraid that she wouldn't give it to me. Um, and uh, it, my heart was more set on stealing than stewarding. And, and as we look at this parable of the ten minas today, I think it confronts us with the same reality. Like, what are we going to do with the grace that God has given us? Are we going to steal it like, the one, like, like the, the one guy that just hides it in a handkerchief? Or are we going to steward what God has given to us? Here's the big idea of where we're going today in Luke 19. And you're going to repeat it after me so that we can be, be sure that we get it here. So let's do this. Um, What we do with the kingdom while the king is gone reveals who the king is in our heart. Let's say that together. What we do with the kingdom while the king is gone reveals who the king is in our hearts. All right, so let's dig into this. Uh, Let's look at the essence of the kingdom. Kind of three three, uh, conversations we're going to have within Luke 19 are this. The essence of the kingdom, the timing of the kingdom and the responsibility of the kingdom. So let's dig into the essence of the kingdom. Let me remind you of Luke chapter 19, verses 12 and 13 here. <clears throat> he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling, uh, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, key words right here, engage in business until I come. 
So this parable teaches us really about the essence of the kingdom. Like, like what is the kingdom? What does it mean to be under the dominion of a king? Um, so so this, this nobleman <clears throat> that we're talking about here, uh, this nobleman or king is Jesus. And he's telling this story about what it would be like. So he, he goes into this, uh, you know, this far country, uh, which, which would be the country of death for him to receive the kingly power of resurrection. But before he goes, uh, he gives some resources to some of his servants that are there. And, and the, the key thing that he does here is he gives all of them the same amount of resource. And these, these resources are gifts to steward that belong to the king, but he entrusts to the servants. Um, so he gives resources out of his own pockets to his servants to build his kingdom. And he says, go build the kingdom with my resources until I get back. And here's what I want you to do. I really want you to go for it. I mean, act like money is not an issue. Take some risk, live by faith, invest what I've given to you into this world. Now, now the essence of this kingdom is that King Jesus desires to build this kingdom through his people while he's away. So, so Jesus came and he died, and he rose, and he's, he's coming back again. And, and we've been given the king's power and resources to invest in this kingdom. And what we see about this is that everything that we have in this life belongs to King Jesus. Now, he's building a spiritual kingdom, but uh, we are also very physical beings. We have physical things, and all of those come under the dominion of the king as well. They're all serving one purpose, to advance the cause of the king. To advance the cause of the king. And so, so Jesus tells this parable to us because we might need help understanding the priorities of the kingdom. This is why as Jesus began his ministry, he went into... Uh, his hometown in Nazareth. If you've got a Bible, flip over to Luke chapter 4, just a few pages back. In Luke chapter 4, what we see is, is Jesus beginning his ministry. Uh, he's, he's coming on the, the scene. He's, got his, his, he's getting ready to kind of procure his disciples who are going to follow him. He's going to send the gospel through. And he says, I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to go to church at home. It's going to be a homecoming kind of thing. I'm going to go to Nazareth. And here's where we pick up. And, and what Jesus does in Luke chapter 4 is the first thing that he wants to do with the people that he knows the most deeply, that, that he's closest to, is he wants to tell them about the kingdom so they don't miss it. He thought to himself, these are people that are for me. We've shared life together. They saw me in diapers. You know, they know me. These are the people that will really be for me. They'll be for the kingdom that God wants to advance through me. So here we pick up in four, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and the scriptures say this. He came to Nazareth where, where he had been brought up, and, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he enrolled it and found the place where it was written. Now, what you got to know is that like a rabbi, you know, they would have went to the synagogue and there would have been readings, you know, um, readings from the law, readings from the prophet. This is a very normal part of the liturgy of the synagogue. And so they hand him the scroll of Isaiah and he intentionally goes down and says, I've got something that I want to say from the, from the prophecy of Isaiah here to the church. And, and here's what he flips to, which is in Isaiah chapter 61. And he reads this. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on them. I mean, it was almost like an encore. It was like, you know, one more song. It was like, oh, wait, Jesus, you can't just... You can't just read that. And so then he stands up and he says, oh, by the way, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Those words that Isaiah prophesied about are coming true before your eyes. The kingdom is here. And so he, 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 he's, t- he's been telling them about the kingdom of God, how it's altogether different than anything that they've experienced before, how the essence of it is spiritual in nature, and it's, it's for the people that, that you don't think it's for, and it's not for the people that seem to have it all together. He's telling them about the kingdom because if we do not understand the kingdom that Jesus is trying to build, we will build the wrong kingdom. We'll do it every single time. And so, what we see about this is that we've got to take inventory about the kingdom that we're building. Now, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible, what it says, how it defines the kingdom of God. It says everywhere Jesus is king. And Jesus, it says he's he's been given everything from the Father. All authority has been given to him. And what does he do in turn? In Matthew 28, it says this, that because all authority has been given to him, that he entrusted his authority to us to go make disciples of all nations, to teach and to baptize, you know, about everything that Jesus has done uh, until he returns to the ends of the earth. That's what he's called us to do. So we've got all of the authority of God, all of the resources of heaven to go and advance the cause of Jesus Christ. And so we, we ask ourselves as we look at this, what are we doing with the kingdom of God that's right in front of us? How are we stewarding the kingdom of God? How do we steward God's kingdom with people that look different than us? How do we steward God's kingdom with people that live differently than we live? How do we steward God's kingdom in the, in the, in the kind of the fringes of society, on the outskirts of society? Because what I, what I forgot to tell you is that this parable was likely given over a meal at Zacchaeus' house. So, so when you look back in the beginning of Luke 19, it's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And, and with Jesus and Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was this like, basically like he was like the grimiest man you could imagine. I mean, he, he was a political figure in the city of Jericho, which wasn't too far from Jerusalem. Uh, he was probably one of the richest guys in town, and the way that he made his money as a tax collector was by ripping off his fellow countrymen. And so Jesus, Zacchaeus says, hey, look, I want to see Jesus. I hear he's in town, so he climbs up in this tree because he's this really short man. Jesus notices him out of everybody, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come into your life today. I want to enter into your life. I'm going into your house today, buddy. Let's go and have a meal together. And so over that meal in in uh, Zacchaeus' house is likely where Jesus gave this parable. And I think that he gave it, uh, well, he says this in Luke uh, 19.11, I think. He, he says that he gave this parable because some people would expect that the kingdom would come immediately. And he wanted to show that the kingdom would come slowly. 
And it would come incrementally through people who were actually ready to see Jesus be their king. That's why he describes in this parable how some people really didn't want Jesus to be their king. And the way that we know that they didn't really want Jesus to be their king is because they really didn't steward his kingdom. They kind of stayed on their own track building their own kingdoms. And so so as, as as we look at how we steward God's kingdom, think about the fact that Jesus came into Zacchaeus' house. Grace to the wicked, crooked, corrupt politician. That's where God's grace rested upon in the city of Jericho that day. Now just a few verses later in this Luke chapter 4 story that we've looked at about Jesus announcing the kingdom of God. Do you know what they would do with Jesus? They would take him out to to the edge of a cliff just outside of Nazareth, just outside where the synagogue is, and it says they sought to kill him by throwing him off the cliff. Now, why did they do that? Because they didn't want him to be their king. And my question to you today is, do you want Jesus to be your king? We we don't really have a category for monarchy in the United States. In fact, our whole country was built on getting away from that. (laughs) But as we... As we think about this, we really need to understand what it means to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The fact that, that he calls the shots because this is his kingdom. So as we look about the essence of the kingdom, that, that, that phrase that he says in Luke, uh, I think it's 19, uh, 13, where he says, engage in business until I return. What are you doing with that today? How are you engaging in the business of the kingdom with the resources of God's grace that he's given you today? Secondly, let's look at the timing of the kingdom. I'm going to read Luke 19, 11, and then verses 14 and 15. Scriptures say this, As they heard these things, now these, uh, they are the people at Zacchaeus' house. These things are the fact that Zacchaeus just came to faith and Jesus sought him out of everybody in Jericho. So as they heard these things, Here's what Jesus wanted to say. He proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, skipping on down to verse 14, the scriptures say this, and this is, this is kind of within the parable that he's telling here, the story about the ten minus. But his citizens hated him. He's talking about the nobleman, Jesus. His citizens hated him, and they sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. We don't want him to be our king. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, after a period of time, the king returns to the servants. He ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to, to be called to him. Now, a mina was a a measurement of money. Some people say it was like, it was basically like three months of a salary. That's what a mina was. So he gave them all the same amount of money. And he comes back and, and he says, uh, he, he wants to know what they had gained by doing business while it was gone. What did they do with the authority and the resources that the king gave them? What did they do with it? He wants to know. And so, <clears throat> what we see here is, is that, um, you know, when the king comes back, and, and the, the, he, the first thing he wants to know is, hey, how you doing? Yeah, how'd it go? And then he wants to know, he wants to know some, like, tangible some results what did you do with the minas now I I don't think that he was like super concerned with like the monetary results 
I think he was more concerned with the hearts of his servants than anything else. I don't get the impression that the, the focus of this parable is on, hey, do you have a five-fold life or a ten-fold life? But it was, it was rather this fact, that you, what are you doing while the king is away with your life? What are you doing with the king's resources, his grace that he's given to you, the resources that he's given to you, while the king is away? So what we see is that... Um, well, I just want to, I want to flip over to 2 Peter chapter 3 real quick, and I want to read to you a little bit about life while we're waiting for the king to come. Because what we're looking at with the timing of the, the kingdom of God is that Jesus has come, and he's yet to come. So we find ourselves living in between the times. We are the servants that have been given the resources of God's grace, physically and spiritually, so those servants are us, and King Jesus is going to return, and he's going to say, what did you do with my kingdom? And so as we think about living in between those two times, I want to read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-10 through 10 for you. Peter talks about this, this era of the church. He says this, don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So don't be so focused on, on when I'm going to return, is what he's saying. And in other places, he'll say no one knows the, the, the day or the time. He goes on to say, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness to be. But rather, here's the key in these verses. He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All should be brought back. That's his hope. That's his desire. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. In other words, he's saying, when Jesus comes back, he'll consummate his creation. He'll finish what he started. And, and as we live in between the times, the key that I want you to get from 2 Peter 3 is this, is that it's not like God is unaware of what's going on in this world. He is just so, he is so much more patient than us that he's letting his kingdom grow and expand through his church during this season. So that's what he's doing here. So as we think about these kind of two anchors of time, of the fact that Jesus has come and we have salvation if we believe in him, and that he's not yet returned, I, want, I think a helpful terminology for this would be this. The already and the not yet. So God's kingdom has this already component to it. Things that are already true and belong to the people of God through faith. And then on the other hand, there are this, there's this element of the not yet. Things that are not yet finished. And we could all kind of describe what those are. And so let me describe the already like this. Jesus has come. And because of that, the kingdom has come. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in your midst as he walked this earth. And, and because of that, we have received the promised redemption of the Messiah. So the kingdom of God is in us, according to John 5, by, by these conditions. Listen to John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words, so there's this component of hearing, actually hearing the words of God, through the scriptures, through the word of God, through the preaching of God's word and the reading of the scriptures, whoever hears my words and believes those words, believe in him who sent me, he has eternal life. That's it. Whoever hears 
and then believes has eternal life. There are no other conditions on that other than hearing and believing. I could take you to places in Romans chapter 10 and show you the same thing. And he goes on to say, he does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. So the already components of the kingdom are this. If we have faith in the finished work of Jesus, we already obtain eternal life. That's ours. We've been justified and forgiven. We've been adopted into his family. We've been saved. It's, it is ours in Jesus Christ. But then there's this not yet side of things. And this is, the, this is the place that gets real fuzzy for us because it's like, yeah, Jesus is here, but why is the world still a mess? Why is my own life still a mess? Why do I still struggle with sin? Why aren't the things that he says in his word coming true in my reality? It's because of this not yet reality. So the not yet says this, redemption has come, but redemption will not be complete until when? The king returns when he comes. Let's flip over to Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5, and just look at uh, this, this picture of the expansion of the kingdom through the church. It's this beautiful picture because the book of Revelation is a, is a prophecy that John writes while he's exiled on the island of Patmos, and he says, he's like, he's like caught up in the spirit with the Lord, and he's writing down what God is showing him. And so you'll notice that he's talking about this future, future orientation of the kingdom, this is what it's going to be like when we're finally with the king. But then he gets caught up kind of in the, the right now. Listen for it right here. Revelation 21, 3 through 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is when Jesus returns. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And here's what he'll do, church. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death, it'll be no more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne says this right here. This is where John gets caught up in the present. Behold, I am making all things new. Now, now, the significance of this word right here, to make, is that uh, John has been speaking about the future tense, what's going to be true because of what Jesus has come to do and what he's promised to do for all of eternity. But all of a sudden, he breaks into the present tense. And he doesn't say, behold, I am going to make all things. He doesn't say, behold, I am going to make all new things. Like saying, hey, like in the future, if y'all just hold on, church, I'm going to make all new things. We're going to get rid of all this stuff, and I'm just going to make new things. I'm just going to get rid of them. But he says, no, 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 no. That's not how the kingdom grows. The kingdom grows and advances like this through the renewal of present things through the Spirit of the living God. That's how he's going to advance his kingdom in the world. And when you see Jesus desiring to advance his kingdom like that, all of a sudden you see that nothing is too far gone. So when you think about your life and the situations that you've been in, maybe you think, man, I'm just a little too far gone to be used by God in a major way. I've got this history. I've got this baggage. There's no way God could use me like that. I would say maybe you're leaning into kind of hiding God's grace in that handkerchief. Because God is making all things new, 
No one is too far gone. That also means that as we look at others, as we look and see people who are made in the image of God, and we think, am I going to enter into their life or not? We need to be thinking about these verses. Because Jesus is making all things new. And we're all dirty, rotten sinners. And He wants to use all of it for the sake of His glory. Where, church, do you see the evidence of God's kingdom in the world? In your life or in your heart right now? Where do you see the invitations to enter into advancing the kingdom in places that are unexpected? Places like Zacchaeus' house. Because that's how the kingdom is going to grow. That's how Jesus wants to advance the kingdom. Probably not in the ways that you expect and in the timing that you expected. But we've got to have these eyes open for the kingdom opportunities all around us. And, and Jesus says, hey, the, the first thing that Jesus says in the, like the only sermon that we have recorded that he preaches, which is the Sermon on the Mount, he goes through what, what we see as the Beatitudes. And what the Beatitudes are are the kingdom priorities. Blessed are the pure in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. You know, all of those, all of those realities that he talks about. And they're all, they're, they're all postures of people that we wouldn't naturally pursue or attitudes or characteristics that we wouldn't naturally pursue. They're all needy and humble. And that's who Jesus is after. And so if those people are in your life, or if that posture is in your heart, God is advancing the kingdom through you. But if you don't see yourself as someone who really needs Jesus, you might be hiding out and stealing God's resources. Let, let's let's uh, land the plane by, by going to the, the third point here and, and wrapping it up with this parable. The responsibility of the kingdom. So there's just kind of two points here as we look at this. There's the faith-filled servant, and then there's the faithless servant. So let's look at the faith-filled servants first. Uh, Luke 19, 16 through 19. Uh, the first servant, when the king comes back, the first servant, uh, he approaches, and he says, Lord, your mina has made me ten minas more. And Jesus, the king, says to him, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful over a little, you're going to have authority over ten cities. I'm going to make you a governor, he says. Uh, and the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, uh, you're going to be over five cities. Now, notice that he goes from like resources to responsibility over entire groups and cities of people. He's saying that if you're going to steward a little bit of my grace faithfully, then I want to give you more dominion uh, in the kingdom. I want to give you more opportunities, more opportunities to walk in faith with the grace that you've been given. Um, and so what, what we see here is that, um, that the, the way that he describes it is he says, well done, good servant. You've been faithful over a little, I'm going to give you much. And so the, the, the crux of it is not like, you know, let me, let me show you ten ways to a tenfold life or anything like that. Or here's how to be a five-talent man. It's, it's more about faith than anything else. Because each and every one of us in this room and in this world, the Scriptures would say are without excuse because we've seen who Jesus is through His Word, through His creation, and because of that, when, when we respond to God's grace and we become believers in Jesus, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 talks about this. We're given this gift, and with that gift comes uh, gifts. Uh, with that gift of the Holy Spirit comes gifts that we steward. And 
Because God's grace looks a little different in all of our lives. Some of us are, you know, have the gift of generosity, others of helping and, and leadership, and it all works together in this body uh, Paul talks about in the scriptures. And so as we steward these gifts, they're all going to the same thing, to build up the body of Christ, which is how Jesus is advancing his domain, uh, advancing his kingdom in this world. But it all has to do with faith, because we're all given the same amount of grace if we're Christians. We're all given this gift of faith. We've got to steward it. But the only way you're going to tap into that is you actually believe that Jesus wants to advance his kingdom through your life. Some of us believe that, and we believe it a little, and, and we're growing in that. Some of us in this room don't think that God could ever use us to advance his kingdom. And what, what it just I, as a pastor, as your pastor, my heart is just saddened that you would ever think that God couldn't use you. That God couldn't advance his kingdom through the the small opportunities that he gives you. And said, what we see in the scriptures is that he's so overjoyed to give those small opportunities to us and they have eternal significance. And so if you want to be a faithful servant of Jesus, the invitation for you today is to say yes to walk in that next step of obedience with what God has given you in his grace. Now, kind of the flip side of this is that Jesus does give a warning. He gives a warning, and it's a, you know, we've been looking in the book of Lamentations. We've been seeing a lot of warnings, a lot of heavy stuff. But there's, there's always another side of grace. What if you don't do anything with grace? What does that reveal about your life? So I'll read it quickly for us and, and let it just sit with you. Um, not as a way to necessarily maybe scare you, but to confirm what God wants to do through you. Now, what he is saying here is that if those evidences are not in our life, we ought to be concerned if we are really stewarding God's grace or not. And so I'll let it hit you how the Holy Spirit uh, will, will, uh, will lead it to. He says this about the faithless servant. Uh, Luke 19, 20 through 27. Another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept and laid away in a handkerchief because I was afraid of you because you were a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you didn't sow. And, and, and the king, Jesus, says to him, and I'm going to condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? If you really believe that, why didn't you put the money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected a little interest off of it? And he said to those who stood by, he, so Jesus turns and he looks at the crowd, um, Lord, he has ten minas, they said, and he said, I tell you to everyone who has more, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them to here and they'll be slaughtered before me. They'll, they'll, they'll meet destruction is what he's saying. Because they've, they've asked for it. They didn't want Jesus to be their king. The, I think the, the key thing to see about the servant is that he thought that he knew who Jesus was but he had no idea who Jesus really was. He thought, man, i got, I got to hide out and just protect myself, keep to me in mind. Uh, and, and when the king comes back, if he comes back, maybe he will, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him what he, what he gave to me and say, hey, thanks, I needed it for a little bit. I don't really need it anymore. I needed your grace for a little bit, but, but you know, now I'm kind of good. I got through that time. But, but the, the servants that Jesus 
is, is so filled with joy about it and he wants to give them more and more and more are the people that risk it all for the kingdom of God. I have a feeling that Jesus would have been more okay with that servant losing everything than coming back to him with a faithless heart. So as we think about our lives, I, I just want to ask you, where are you in this? How is this hitting you today? Maybe you're someone who, you know, you, you see yourself and the kingdom of God for you is just kind of this participating in worship services kind of a thing. Have you ever thought that God might want to equip you for the work of ministry and to use you in his world? For those of you who, you know, you're really not in the kingdom of God right now. The invitation for you is to receive that mina. Receive what God wants to give you. Receive the gift of his grace that he is for you. And he wants to forgive you. And he wants to set you on his mission in this world. I don't know where you're at today, but I want to invite you to do something with what you've heard today. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we thank you so much that you would entrust us with the gift of your grace. That you don't count our trespasses against us. That you don't hold our lives against us when we're in Jesus. That there's a new beginning. I mean, as I look at your people in the scriptures, I see murderers and adulterers, and I see the worst, you know, corrupt political officials. I see all, the whole gamut of the people that repel us. And yet, that's who you build your kingdom with, God. God, would you humble our hearts today to receive the gift of your kingdom, to receive the gift of your grace, and to faithfully put it to work in your world, God. Would you give us the faith to risk it all, risk every ounce of grace that you've given us for the sake of the world that you so loved. We pray and we thank you for the gift of stewardship. In the name of Jesus, amen.